Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 23, Love Hurts. Mary, what happened this week? Andrea's still fucking Peter, and now Dylan knows about it. Andrea and Jesse have an in-person fight, and after which Andrea runs off to their motel to tell Peter she wants to leave her husband for him. Peter's like, thanks, but no thanks. My wife, like, pays my bills, and she doesn't have a kid, so no. Donna's mad at everybody who might have had anything to do with making Ray go away on tour. Mostly Val, until Val's like, no, honey, Dave is the one who said he sucks. What also sucks is every other band Val and Claire auditioned to take Ray's place. Val turns to Steve for help, but it turns out she doesn't need him after all. Donna and David have a big fight over Ray, eventually making up after the most intense and traumatizing moment in this show's entire history so far. Big trigger warning for sexual violence. Please continue at your discretion. We'd rather you be safe than consume this content. Lenny is found innocent of attacking Melody, but he's also revealed to be a registered sex offender, an unfair label according to him and the writers. David believes Lenny's innocence of both crimes and refers him to Brandon Walsh, student body president, for help. Speaking of Brandon, he's pissed at the dean because the student government submitted a really good plan to increase security at CU, but the administration didn't implement it because they didn't plan on how to fund it, because that's their job, apparently. Brandon is willing to help out Lenny, and during their conversation finds out Lenny has more information on the rapist that he withheld from the police for some reason. Brandon figures out the perpetrator may have been stalking Claire, but settled on another target. I mean, I feel like the best way to start is just literally chronological, but I just, I don't even know where to start. Like, this, ep- so many of my notes are just in all caps, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, no, this was a horrible episode in more ways than one. I mean, even if you take out what Mary accurately describes as like the most horrible thing that's happened thus far and most traumatizing, even if you take that out, every character sucks except Kelly. And that's only because she's not in this episode. I noticed that too. I was like, where is Kelly? Yeah, she's not even see, in it. See, this would have been interesting if they had put flip the last two episodes where we just don't see Kelly for an episode because she's with the cult. And then after that is when they have to go get her out. Yeah. That could have been very interesting. And I, I wonder what she was doing. Maybe she plays a big part in the next episode. Yeah. I mean, so I watched the 90210 show, um, on YouTube for this episode. Cause I just, we just had to know what they said. Um, what it does say is that Kelly must've been like, had a lot of back-to-backs or was really, you know, had a lot of heavy scenes or not heavy scenes, but like just a lot of work in the previous episode and the next episode. So probably giving her some time off basically. Which Um, is totally fair because she just had like a five episode arc that was very much focused on her. I get exactly, Exactly. Um, Which does make me wonder if that's kind of why we don't see Steve that often or why we don't see David that often. But at the same time, you know, it, it seems like they've given David and Steve a lot of time off. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> I, could, point. I could see, like, yeah, Brandon, <laughs> Kelly, like, the big main people honestly getting burnout. Like, I'm yeah. surprised by 
how well Jason Priestley handles the amount of work they throw at him. Yeah, for sure. And obviously he was billed as the the main character, the top character, protagonist, whatever. But in an ensemble show, still a lot of work. And he's also starting directing. Mm-hmm. Like, he yeah. does everything. Yeah, he does. Uh, um, But yeah, so we start in the student union – um, carry over from last episode, Donna is mad at David, but also Claire more so than David, uh, for Ray no longer performing at the pee pad. Um, you know, he she almost like acts like this is old hat for David and is like, but I can't believe Claire, you know, she betrayed me, like all this kind of stuff. Yeah, the dynamic between Donna and David in this episode is like, it feels very heightened to me. Like it is a lot yeah. more emotional than I expected it to be. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, even the way that she's talking with Steve and Andrea, she is so upset about this. And Steve is just like, well, Val says it was Ray's idea and just, like, moves on. Right. Like, it's not a big deal to everybody else but Donna. Um, and obviously now, like, David's being brought back into the fold because of because of the fact – now Donna doesn't know this yet – but because of the fact that he was in favor of bringing in new blood. Now, he didn't know he was being manipulated, but – you know, that's not on him. You know, mm-hmm. he thought what Val said was smart for the business, not anything personal. So when in reality, it had everything to do with like a personal decision on Valerie's part. Yeah. And I do think, has David really talked to Val that much at all? Like, has he been in storylines with her? Um, I don't think so. He's kind of been in the periphery for a lot of episodes lately because you know we've kind of talked about how david and claire are just kind of existing right there's not a lot of drama with them they're not getting mad they're not getting overly excited they're just existing and doing their video stuff and doing now the uh what you call it the band getters (laughs) the band getters that's what they're called now if you google search that on a job site you'll you'll find a lot of postings (laughs) it's gonna be my next job band getter (laughs) Woo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Donna is so enthusiastic, like, so upset about this. She spills her coffee, which, like, it kind of was funny to me that nobody jumps back. Like, it just spills on the table and doesn't, like, end up in Steve's lap, which is right. how you know that it is prop coffee and not real coffee. Mm-hmm. But then, like, some older guy who works in the student center, I think they call it the condor's nest or something – Mm-hmm. He comes over to clean it up, and they spend enough time with him on screen that you're immediately like, oh, that's the rapist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the very minimum, you're like, pay attention to this guy. If you recall, you saw him last episode because he was also working at the Condor's Nest. Um, but yeah, and then at most, he's the rapist. Like, they, this is very clearly supposed to kind of almost be like a thriller episode, but it's a little bit too much, I guess in a way not giving the audience much credit for being smart Mm -hmm. and maybe 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 the audience has got smarter as the years have gone on but I don't know it just felt too on the nose yeah I think it's too on the nose I get the feeling that audiences were smarter than this but maybe the writers were like oh we're writing this for teens so we have to like really make sure they know what's happening yeah yeah and and I think it didn't land with me because last week they did I thought they did a better job of like showing characteristics, not an actual face. 
you know, mm-hmm. um, like the shoes and the jacket and things like that and the switchblade. So when they're like lingering on this man's face, it was just, you know, too over the top, too much like, hey, this is him. Make sure you look at him. We're staying on him for at least three seconds. And yeah. moving on. Well, and especially because Brandon comes over and Andre asks him what's going on with the investigation. And he's like, I'm not supposed to tell you that, but off the record, the guy they brought in ain't the guy. Mm-hmm. She doesn't work for the paper, Brandon. <laughs> Nothing is on the record. What record, Brandon? <laughs> so then – and Steve says that the fraternity council is organizing an escort service for women, which I know is not exactly what he said because as soon as I started writing in my notes escort service, I was like, well, that's not right. All right. No, he says it though. <laughs> oh, he do- That's actually what he said. I wrote it down. I convinced myself. I was like, I must be wrong. No, no, no. He, he literally says um, the intrafraternity – the Interfraternity Council or something like that. He, he, basically what he meant was the Panhellenic Council. Yeah. I think the word was interfraternity or something like that. Is organizing an ex- escort service for damsels in distress. Okay. Which sounds problematic on paper. <laughs> that was – yeah. I wrote it and I was like, that can't be right. Mm-hmm. But also for once, good on – keg presumably like we do see steve driving around later and actually doing this thing so like for once we see keg doing something that doesn't suck yeah and you know i think we talked about last episode too how we shouldn't have we shouldn't have to have women needing these extra safety precautions there should just not be rapists and sexual assaulters out there however it is nice that steps are being taken while the rapist is being investigated and and in you know, looked for and things like that. So yeah, good on keg. I'm cool with it. Right? Yeah. It it makes me feel better that like more people are doing something about it rather than just telling women like don't walk by yourselves. They're like, I'm yeah. gonna give you a way to not have to walk by yourself. Exactly. Cause Brandon even says after that that the student council is gonna get on it, but then Andrea gets a page and it's Dr. Laundry at the motel that he's been renting by the week. But Brandon says didn't you hear? Andrea's been moonlighting as a crack dealer. <laughs> if only. If only. <laughs> I would like that story so much better than the story we're getting. If, like, Andrea got a job at a hospital and then, like, really needed to pay her bills so she was, like, stealing pills. Oh, man. Like JT and Degrassi when exactly. Liberty was pregnant. Exactly. Wow. Like JT. Except she wouldn't eat all of them at a bonfire because Jay wouldn't buy them. I mean, she wouldn't do a lot of the things that JT did. Specifically thinking of that pump episode. Oh my god. Can you imagine, though, if Andrea was just like, I need my parts to be bigger. Oh dear. Yeah, I don't remember how old they were supposed to be. I think they are at least like... 15 at this point in the show but he wants to have sex and he's like very concerned about his size so he buys a penis pump and then gets caught in the act of pumping it up by the girl he's supposed to be having sex with oh complete with the little pop sound effect when he removes it in panic (laughs) oh no yeah degrassi went there clearly so Andrea has to leave. She goes to 
the motel because she and Dr. Laundry are still doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And we cut over to the peach pit, the pee pad, where Val and Claire are auditioning bands. And the first one we hear is like, it's not hair metal, but it's like close. It's, yeah. And you can just see in their faces, it's not working. The next band comes up covered in mud, which like, I guess performance art is a part of art. So, you know, go you, but it sounded really unpleasant to me. Yeah. I mean, who am I to judge? But you can tell it's not going great trying to find a a headliner um, to replace Ray. Yeah, it's, I mean, spoiler alert, in the episode, they end up getting the flaming lips. Not that we see it. Yeah, this is like, see, and yeah, so we don't see Flaming Lips, just like we don't see Jamie Walters. Cool, cool, cool. But for some reason, we get to see this band that we don't know the name of and hear them sing the same words over and over and over. So I was like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I understand rights and, and licensing and things like that, but come on. Well, and the thing that keeps getting me is that every time they cut scenes, we're missing plot development for other things like we'll get there Mm -hmm. when we get there or at least I'll try to I'll try and figure out where in the episode the flaming lips are supposed to be I think I know where they are but yeah 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 go on cool yeah because now we get just horrible scene after horrible scene because we have to go to the police department where David has showed up to pick Lenny because he's being released because he they say like the charges are bogus or something we find out later he has an alibi because he was in custody while an attack happened Mm -hmm. so in the car lenny starts telling david his story and we had learned i think it was last episode that lenny was in the military but he didn't get like a gi bill or anything so he has to beg borrow and steal to make ends meet he ends up saying that he was stationed at fort bragg after desert storm And when he was on leave with his unit, he says the words trolling for hookers, which reminds me that the show came out in 1995 Mm -hmm. and that he lost track of time. They got too drunk. Things got crazy. And he woke up the next morning in a cell arrested for rape. But don't worry. It got plea bargained down to sexual assault. And he's only a registered sex offender rather than a convicted rapist. Thank God. Thank God. I mean, phew. Right? Good thing That's we only a, got that. Right? That's just a weight off my shoulders that this guy who does not remember his actions and cannot prove that he didn't do it got to plea bargain down. And that a registered sex offender was allowed to move into fucking co-ed dorms on a That's college campus. That's <laughs> literally my next line is, how is he allowed to live on campus? And then I wrote, Oh, he was on the dean's list last semester. Thank God he didn't let one night of bad decisions affect his future. And I'm, I, you know, look, I am all for convicted felons to enter back into society and have proper rehabilitation, proper opportunities to, um, you know, have job opportunities and kind of get back into society in a positive way. All for mm-hmm. that. Um The problem I have is that this guy, we don't actually know if he raped a girl or not. The fact is, is that 
There is no actual proof whether or not he did this. So the fact that he doesn't even know is a problem. The fact that no one knows is a problem. And especially in the 90s, I mean, it's even true today, no one is going to come forward and say that this happened to them. And obviously, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but it's there's a chance it was too long ago, you know, um, for anything to happen. But my point is, just make Lenny not be the rapist. You don't need to have this tragic backstory of him, maybe, but we don't know, rape a girl and be a convicted felon, or not convicted felon, but, well, is sexual assault a felony? Yeah, he said I would he assume did it is. time in like military prison for it. That's right. Yeah. And the fact that he's a sex offender, just like you don't have to do that. Just make him get dishonorably discharged from the army for something non-sexual related. And then let's tell his story about being a felon who has come back into society looking for a better life. That's fine. Why did the two have to be mutually exclusive? And this is the second time that they've had like a uncertain rape storyline. Like, I I hate to bring it up because I hate the episode so much, but the Take Back the Night episode where we had someone saying that Steve raped her and then everyone being like, no, you must just be mistaken. You must have misunderstood what happened. Steve wouldn't do that. And then we mm-hmm. never actually get to know what actually happened. Right. They're doing this again where he's like, I blacked out. I don't remember a thing. That's not an excuse. They leave Nor- it so ambiguous. And at like even best case scenario, this man, Lenny, is guilty of letting other people rape somebody and not doing anything to fucking stop it. Right. And – Like, on top of that, the way he says, like, trolling for hookers really tells me what the people who wrote this show think about sex workers, which, like, truly, I understand that, like, people's view of sex work has changed drastically in the last 20 years. Like, drastically. I get that. But, like, there is an air of this, like, lesser being. And so, like, the military could just, like, go out pay these women, do what they wanted to them, and walk away. So something that's really interesting is, and I just kind of had this epiphany, because I'm going to skip, like, the rest of the scene is basically just David not being upset about it and being like, you made the honor roll. Like, you're good. Such a bad look for David. Such a bad look. Um, It's a really... (sighs) Anyway, my epiphany is, the next scene we get, we're at the student senate meeting, And Janice, who we all remember from uh, Hate is a Four-Letter Word episode, um, she says, and I quote, I'm all for prison reform and rehab, but when a convicted sex offender like Lenny Zeminski is admitted to this campus, it is indicative of the lack of respect you people have for women. The writers wrote this, and the writers wrote the previous scene. What are you educating the viewers here? Like, what is the lesson to be learned here? Is it Janice's side? Is it Lenny's side? Is it too gray? Because to me, this is not a gray area. And I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit too one way or the other on this, but I just feel like you can't write both things and, and still be like, we respect women and we want, we, we're cool with ambiguity on rape. I, it yeah. doesn't make sense. 
No, I definitely think that the writers are trying to play it on both sides. I think they are erring more on Lenny's side because then uh, the dean gets mad that she brought up his name. Mm-hmm. But, like, when you're a registered sex offender, aren't you supposed to, like, make that known to the people it is that you known. live around? It's yeah. not supposed to be a secret for a reason. Right. Yeah. And, like, you like he could have lived in non-co-ed housing. Like, mm-hmm. there has to be somewhere that he can live. And, I mean, that gets really tricky. I know there's some, you know, weird stuff about trying to find housing when you're a registered sex offender. But, like, I feel like the campus should have at least tried to do something to help him. If they want to actually rehabilitate him, they need to help him rather than just, like, throwing him into co-ed dorms. Because, truly, he should have to tell every single person on that floor that he is a registered sex offender. Or, like, I don't know if, like, the registered sex offender websites existed where you could, like, put in your address and just, like, immediately find who's in your vicinity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's a. It's not like his record is sealed. This is public exactly. knowledge if you go and seek it out. Exactly. I mean, to put it maybe too plainly, but it's kind of like if you have an alcoholic and the only job he can get out of rehab is at a bar, right? Mm-hmm. That's not helping him. That's putting him in a position to mess up or to backslide or whatever. It's a temptation. It's whether or not um, this was a mistake. This was not an intended an intended thing by Lenny. It's still putting yourself in harm's way. And I I think I appreciate this show for for going places that no other show had at this point and I appreciate all of the content that we get. I just think I just think this just was a little too rushed. Like this was too much for one episode and it was not either because they cut scenes out and left them on the cutting room floor, or they just didn't do them. There's too many things to poke holes at. And again, maybe we're looking at this from a 2021 lens and from early 30-year-olds, but I feel like it's okay to criticize this. (laughs) I think it absolutely is, because I think a big part of putting your art out there is at some point, if it takes a turn, you have to acknowledge that, like, okay, this is what I thought at the time. I know that's not the same anymore. And, like, we can, you know, put an asterisk on this and be like, we're going to be very clear. Rape is not okay. Yeah. And move on. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to want to advocate for an innocent party who is accused of something absolutely 100% do that like nobody should ever be convicted for something that they are innocent of yeah however the way this all was framed is kind of super fucked up yeah Yeah. I don't believe Lenny is innocent he might be innocent of the actual act of rape but he like if you and your friends get drunk enough to the point that you abuse someone to the point that it is at the very least sexual assault at the most rape. Like that is still your fault. You chose to yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, I, I think the most important thing here is that we don't know. So we can't trust one way or the other. And, and that's why I think they could have done without it. Just make Lenny have done a robbery or something. You know what I mean? Like it's okay. Or, or I don't know. Like, 
I'm not really sure what qualifies for getting dishonorably discharged from the army, but as just don't, if you're doing an episode about rape, don't include something else about rape in that same episode. It's, it's already too much. Which they do all the time. Yeah. Like, I mean, with the hate is a four letter word. Not only did they make it about race, they also made it about religion. It's like, you can make a point. You can make a difference with one or the other. You don't have to try to jam-pack every minority or every um, marginalized group of people in one spot to make a point because then you're just, you're diminishing each individual person and each individual group's experiences. And it's just the com- same thing here. Yeah, and just completely muddying the waters and making it a really fucking confusing situation. And like, yep. we know that the writers, since they wrote this character, Lenny, they have said that he is innocent, presumably of both things. Mm-hmm. So, like, but as viewers, we don't fucking see that intent. Right. Because yeah. it's just so unclear. And, yeah. yeah, and then, like, also, back to what you were talking about with hate is a four-letter word, like, why did you have to pit those two marginalized groups against each other in that way? Yep. It was just a really hard episode, and we're not even at the attempted rape yet. That I think that was the challenge. One of the biggest challenges for me is that we were about, I don't know, eight, nine minutes into the episode and I was already done with it. I know. Yeah. I do want to keep moving on just because we are only eight minutes into the episode. But I say that knowing that we are going to have a lot more to talk about because right after this, like Brandon steps in and he says, Like, all this stuff about how because they aren't doing anything and they don't have anybody, there could be more rapes. And I think it's uh, the dean and the investigator are like, oh, it's just business as usual. And I was Mm -hmm. like, it can't be business as usual. You cannot have business as usual when there is an active rapist on your campus. Right. And luckily, Brandon speaks up and advocates. He's like, well – Hey, business as usual for you guys, that usually means cutbacks and no student inv- involvement in the decision-making process. And apparently, which we learned, Brandon and the group, the student senate group, made a plan to improve campus security. Now, they didn't provide proper ways to fund it, but they're probably not privy to budgetary information or probably just like it's probably not their job to come up with here's how you you take your X, I can't even judge or make up a number because I'm bad at that game. But here's your budget. Here's how you should fill it because they're 20 or 19, 20 year old kids. They're just supposed to come up with ideas and plans to make things happen so that then the decision makers can decide on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's this is where the dean says something about how, yeah, they didn't offer funding options. And he was like, and I don't think you'd be happy about your tuition going up. And I was like, I'm sorry. If you sent a survey out to the student population and said, if we can protect you better on campus and your tuition has to go up, what, $100, yeah. would you do it? I think they'd do it in a heartbeat. There's a, This yeah. is like a 20,000 student school, at least. This school is huge. It is well, a state university. Exactly. And I think the other side of that coin, too, is there has to be some landscaping fund they can cut from. Like, I'm sorry, like, they're, they're, you don't necessarily have to just keep growing a budget or increasing tuition in order to make important things happen. That's the whole point of a budget. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. And we end the scene finding out there are no leads. Yeah, which, which is great. 
we will come back to later. Yeah, just gonna yell, "God damn it!" really quick. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and like Brandon says something in this scene, I kind of loved it because he was like, "I don't want to grandstand here," and I was like, "No, Brandon, you are not. You are standing up for people. This is fine." Yeah, this is your time, baby boy. Like, go full Brandon on him. <laughs> right? It's so funny. We're, like, begging him to go full Brandon on people, and he's not doing it in the times we want. And I guarantee the next time he does it, we're going to be like, whoa, Brandon, hold on a minute. <laughs> Slow your roll, babe. Like, chill, chill, okay? <laughs> but, like, I am desperate for him to just, like, get emotional about protecting the female population on campus. Yeah. I also yeah. – I'm starting to think that the person who was stealing the bikes and, like, robbing the frat house, totally unrelated to the rapist. And yeah, they just we, drop it. Yeah. We to- we actually never end up finding out who steals the bike, if it's the person they end up catching as the rapist or if it's somebody totally different. They just drop off the map. Yeah. And, I mean, there is, like, an ex- escalation that can happen in crime, but, like, it is not that fast, I don't think. Right. It doesn't go from, like, stealing a couple bikes to ransacking frat houses to rape in days. Yeah, exactly. Like I wouldn't say that stealing bikes is a gateway to statutory rape. Like, No. I, I don't think so. But I, would, I feel – I mean, they're just two totally different types of crime. That's like a bank robber I, – I don't know. I can't come up with an analogy, but – it just it, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So we get like a little bit of respite from the rape storyline because we have to go talk about other people having sex consensually, which is also very weird. Mm-hmm. So Dylan is in a suit again, and he is talking to Charlie, who is typing on a typewriter. And I thought of Mary instantly. <laughs> Made me so happy. I was like, yeah, writers write on typewriters. That's a thing I know. It's a thing. But then Charlie says, a serious writer never tells what he's working on. And I was like, that's a damn lie. Yeah, that's that's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) But he's like, he's definitely saying it in a way of like, I'm not going to talk about this unless you ask me. And like, I really want you to ask me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, I get it from probably Charlie's perspective here because clearly he's self-conscious about it. So that would be me if I ever started to write something and wanting to share it with people, but also not want it. It was like when I got my tattoo. I didn't want to tell anybody what I was getting until I actually got it because I didn't want to be judged by it. So, Charlie, you are seen. <laughs> I can really relate to Charlie, though, just being like, I'm working on a thing. Ask me about it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and he does eventually give us a little plot overview about how it's a detective who starts having dreams about his past lives, and then he tells Dylan that he can read it and help, and my heart melted a little bit. I was like, this is such a pure little friendship. Like, Yeah, I'm all for a classic Dylan and Charlie mess around here. So then Charlie starts talking about how people stay under assumed names at this motel, and then he's like talking, talking, talking. But then he points out Andrea. He points out this woman. He's like, oh, that woman there. And Dylan looks and it's Andrea. Yep. Charlie doesn't know who it is, but Dylan sure does. Oh, yeah. I 
I really want to know what Dr. Laundry's assumed name is. I hope it's Dr. Laundry. Oh, me too. We get away from them for a while. We're back at the peach pit and the peach and the pee pad. And Nat is bringing over food to Val. Um, and Donna's waiting to meet with her, presumably to talk about the whole Ray situation. Um, so then we see that same guy from the Condor's Nest mm-hmm. who was bussing the tables. He comes by and he wants to talk to Claire about getting a job at the pee pad. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, we've seen this guy now in a couple of scenes. And now he's specifically asking for Claire. We didn't, you know, for we didn't know he knew Claire. And Donna recognizes him. Like she very specifically recognizes him as the guy that cleaned up her spill. Mm-hmm. And you can like kind of now that you've seen the whole episode, you can kind of like work back into this where he's like, Oh, you're being nice to me. This is like opening up an opportunity here. And then she even goes in to talk to Val and leaves her bag there, which she probably shouldn't have done, but that does not excuse him for going into her bag and digging out her mail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you bring up a good point about kind of him latching on to the fact that Donna was nice to him because she he even asked Val or asked Donna if Val is nice. And Donna's like, um, I'm not sure how to answer that question, which I appreciated because, yeah, I don't. is she? Who knows? What day is it? Who's she talking to? Yeah, because she ends up going into Val's office, who wants her to listen to a recording on her answering machine, which Mm -hmm. was, like, such old tech. I loved it. Loved it. And she goes, oh, what did you think? And Donna's like, I think you're cruel. (laughs) But then Val completely turns it around, doing her whole, like, she's doing her whole Val thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And she says that David said that the club would die if they didn't bring in new cl- new blood. Mm-hmm. And then she tries to even spin it by saying, like, well, Ray needs to grow by not playing in the same club week to week. So this is actually a good thing for Ray. You know, it's very I, – I sometimes view Val as, like, a young Emily Gilmore because she's so masterful with her manipulation – that you don't even sometimes realize that you've been Gilmored until afterwards you leave and you're like, shit, I've been Gilmored. You know, I've been Maloned in this case. And yeah, it's like she has turned this whole thing from, well, no, David said that he's deflecting blame to wait, wait, wait. No, this is a good thing for your boyfriend. He needs to do this to grow his career. Don't Donna, you want him to succeed in his career, don't you? Like if she has a kid one day, this kid will be so guilt tripped. <laughs> It's entire life. I am going to keep maloned as a verb <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> Which is so funny because you think like that would be something I'd already think of because of Jeremy Jam. You got jammed. Right, right. Or you've been Gilmored. Or I've been Gilmored. And I just didn't even think about it, about it but now maloned is going to be like the verb. The verb. Classic maloning. And, yeah, it works. Donna is just, like, basically over it. She tells Val that there's the guy outside. I think this is where we find out his name is Garrett in this scene. Mm -hmm. And that he wants a job. Val asks if he's cute. Donna replies, he seems nice. But then they come out and her bag is gone. It's really just, like, sitting next to the speaker that she had left it on. And she's furious 
And I'm like, but you have to understand. Like, he definitely went through your bag. Right, right. Like, you know, they're even like, oh, well, I hope everything's still in there. And she's like trying to rummage around. And, you know, it seems very clear that she's like checking for her wallet. She's checking for her keys. She's checking for the big things. And she's probably not missing that like piece of junk mail that she stuck in her bag. Yeah, exactly. And I hate to say it again, but this is like, I don't know, the third time in as many episodes that we've seen everyone make Donna out to be dumb. Yes. Like, I don't understand, especially because Donna has taken self-defense classes. She has been like through some shit as a 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. I don't think she would just leave her bag out when there's a stranger around. Yeah, I totally agree. It would be more believable if she was grabbing her bag from the speaker and the mail fell out and she didn't know. Yeah. That would be that more would make believable. a lot more sense. Yeah. But we don't get that. We get another opportunity to basically just rag on Donna. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get a really weird Steve scene. Oh, it's so weird. Yeah. Go ahead and give me your thoughts on it because I have one specific thought. Steve is driving a golf cart around campus giving rides to women. He borrowed the golf cart from Rush's country club, I guess. And the reason that he was able to get it is he has to play a tournament, a golf tournament with Rush, which like, okay, fine. That fits his story, whatever. He's telling all this to Val, who's getting a ride. And she's like, oh, actually, I was coming to campus to see you because I wanted to talk about the club. And I really appreciate Steve being like, I can't go on another roller coaster ride with you. Yep. Then he reminds Val he legally cannot get involved. Mm-hmm. But she she makes a comment that he hung out with the Stones, which I think we missed or it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But then with all this talking, Steve almost runs someone down. Yep. And she just walks away and he has to like drive into the grass and they never talk about it. He's just like, <laughs> yeah, I'll help you. Okay, bye. I don't understand the point of having him almost run over somebody. I don't either. Like there was no point. And, and it was also a woman he almost ran over. I know. He's supposed to be protecting them, not I running them down. I just don't get the point unless that was an oopsie and they just kept it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm watching like three episodes. We meet her and she's like, oh my God, you're the guy that almost ran me down. And then they date for a season. Yeah. Like that was their meet cute. <laughs> but yeah. So basically Steve is saying he's going to try to help Val get a band by tonight, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So basically Steve was maloned in a way. She's just walking around maloning everyone. <laughs> Bam, maloned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So then we have to go back to the Lenny storyline, and he's walking around campus. People are chasing him, yelling at him. It almost seems kind of like a like a paparazzi situation or a media reporter situation. Um, then we get a random scene where we see Dylan in the men's bathroom and Lenny walks in and almost like runs in. What is with this ac almost accidental, like run into each other situation here? Cause this is, yeah, they don't even talk. I don't think I didn't write down if they talked. No, I think Dylan is like, Hey, are you okay? And Lenny says, yeah. And then Dylan leaves. Like it's something like yeah. that. 
But it feels like – I didn't look up whoever directed this episode. But it feels like whoever they were really wanted this to be a little more seamless of the idea of like Steve drops Val off. Val immediately starts walking towards this crowd of women that are that are shouting at Lenny. Then Lenny goes into the bathroom, runs into Dylan. Dylan walks out, goes to Andrea. And then we get the scene with him and Andrea where he starts with call, saying, good afternoon, Miss Zuckerman. And I kind of loved it. I love any time a character calls another character by, like, Miss Zuckerman, like, just like that. Like, I don't know why, but I just love it. Um, but I also thought it was interesting that she didn't correct him and say Miss Zuckerman Vasquez. Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's a good point. I mean, it could have just been throwaway because Dylan, it's kind of like how people, like a lot of my friends from high school never changed my name once I got married in their phones and I'm always what I used to be. So it could have been that thing, but it's just one of those little like tick marks where I'm like, oh, there's no love here, you know? But yeah, it what's this actually ends up being a good scene because we don't get Dylan and Andrea that often. Um, and when we do, it's usually great work and great scenes. Um and so apparently he Dylan had reached out to Andrea to meet up with her because he wanted to tell her that he knows about the motel and knows about Peter. And obviously, and totally understandable, Andrea gets defensive. She gets upset and she worries that Dylan is judging her. And Dylan is probably one of the least judgmental people of the group. So it's probably good that he was the one to find out. But this is where Andrea says that she's in love with Dr. Laundry, And she calls him an amazing, sensitive, and loving guy. And I was like, can he really be that amazing and loving if he is having an affair? Right. Right. Like, that's just – honestly, I don't – I haven't seen that. That might be happening off screen, but I mm -hmm. haven't seen it. And, yep. like, yeah, Dylan is the least judgmental guy, but Dylan has also – cheated on people before so right. he does mention he's like look sneaking around is not the best way to build a solid relationship which remind us reminds us that he has experience in this mm -hmm. and he says very plainly like i'm not here to judge you i'm just telling you i know in case you want to talk which is great honestly honestly it is like i cannot guarantee that i would ever be that neutral about something like that. I would definitely try, but I have a low tolerance for cheaters. So No, absolutely. But I think it's – and I – the only reason I say I think this is a little different in that case is because Dylan and Jesse don't really have a relationship. If this were some – if Andrea was dating somebody else in, this, in the friend group, like Steve or something, I think Dylan would not be quite as cool as he is right here. I don't know. I mean, he did cheat on Brenda with Kelly. That's a fact. Also, I would like to think that if Stondria were ever a fucking thing, that they would be rock solid and never have a problem ever and be very boring TV. And it's the only reason that it hasn't happened. Oh, yeah. They would be so good together. Because, like, Steve would just be there for Andrea. He just would. Like, he – I love Steve, but – he has nothing else going on in his life. <laughs> Did you guys ever watch Everwood? No, but it's on HBO, so I kind of want to. So this would actually be perfect for not quite as extreme, 
but for Chris Pratt's character and um, Mary, help me out. She's um, April and Grey's Anatomy. Um, oh fuck, little Sarah, little Sarah Red Drew, cutie. Yeah, okay, Sarah Drew. Yeah, I their don't know char- people's names. <laughs> yeah, well, I got you. Um, but their characters end up dating, and Chris Pratt's character was like kind of a, for lack of a better word, less intellectual, like kind of the he wasn't really a jock or anything he was just like a silly dumb boy yeah a little himbo in him and and then sarah drew's character was like the smartest girl in school who was not popular so it's very has the makings of like a steve andrea situation so what you're telling me is chris pratt has been typecast oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) up until mario (laughs) oh god i can't talk talk about mario we cannot. It's wrong, but and I won't it, do it. It's wrong. It's it's a hundred percent wrong. I don't care who you ask or what you say. It is wrong. Um. Anyway, so moving forward, David is back, or we're, yeah, David's back at his dorm, and Amy, uh, who you recall from the last episode, um, says that Lenny is moving out. Is that she, wait? Sorry. Is yeah, that, right? that is. Yeah. Okay. This is just. And she also calls him Senor Perverto, mm-hmm. which is quite a name. Wrote it down. Quite. Quite. And so David goes into his room where he's packing up, and Lenny says it's better if he just disappears. He can't talk about other stuff. And David asks if he did it, and Lenny says, what if I did? And I was like, "Uh, that's a big if, sir. Like, this is not – this is not a question. If you did it, you deserve everything that is happening to you and more. Yeah. Well, and it's a pretty large, like, chip to bet all on black for, you know, like to just assume David trusts you enough to know the answer. He's talked to you for a day. And yet it works because David takes this comment as a reason to stand up for Lenny and is like, give me a day and I'll make something happen. Mm-hmm. And David makes it his mission for basically the rest of the episode to defend Lenny's honor at all costs. Which I want to stay on this because we get a small tiny scene at the pee pad where Steve tries to come to see Val with an act and she tries to push him out because she's talking with some person that we're supposed to know who it is. And then Steve just says, I hate her, which that was kind of funny. Anywho, (laughs) back at the beach apartment, Continuing the David storyline, David just grabs a bat by the door. Not at all foreshadowing. I know, right? Uh, And Claire's there and is all excited to see him. And this is where he explains that he wants to do a feature on Lenny with Donna and or Claire's help called Rehabilitated Criminal, a student. It's not a good name. Anywho, (laughs) it's so much of a bad name that Claire says, I'm going to go ahead and reveal this is my quote of the week. Uh... I'm going to pass Adina on that one. Can we also talk about Claire's sparkly purple polo? (laughs) Yeah. Between that shirt and the velvet purple dress that Donna was wearing at the end of last episode, I'm like, I want lavender everything. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mary, it's another reason for you to watch Jane the Virgin. Rogelio is one of the characters, and his favorite color is lavender. That's very cute for him. <laughs> he pulls it off too, let me tell you. He <sighs> pops. He doesn't pop in peach, but he does in lavender. Aw. Anyway, 
Um, so yeah, and, and David's basically explaining that he's fighting for Lenny because he's getting run out of town, um, which, okay. And luckily, Claire responds in the most perfect way and says, no, David, the guy has a history of violence against women, all right? If he wants to go into higher learning, let him do it in an estrogen-free environment. Yeah, totally fair. And then David snaps at her and says he wishes her heart was as big as her mouth. And this is the moment that Claire should have said, you need to get out of my apartment and never come back. A hundred percent. And again, this is kind of my point from earlier. It's like we get both reactions. Why? Like, why do we get such a great line from Claire, which is very, you know, similar in a way to what Janice says earlier in the episode, but then we get this reaction from David. Yeah. Both can't be true. And like, good that we got the reaction from Claire, but David is a main cast member. Like, he's going to be around and we're going to have to live with the fact that he stood up for a sexual assaulter, a registered sex offender. And again, rehabilitating people, but like in this very moment, and especially considering what Lenny does, not okay. 100%. And that's why I'm saying like, if he had just been a non-sexual, you know, felon, whatever you want to call it, then cool. Yes, David, go to bat for him. You can't have both. That's the problem. And then unfortunately, big unfortunately, Donna comes, um, you know, down from her room and she's mad at Ray, at David for Ray not being able to play. And mm-hmm. then David has the audacity to say, are you on medication or something? Which, very judgmental and not the way to treat people who need medication. And then he calls her a self-involved bitch, a pale version of what she used to be. I don't know what I ever saw in you in the first place. I have no words. Like, I, I just don't. I literally, I didn't write anything down about this scene other than the self-involved bitch quote and that I noticed David's stupid facial hair. It is such like, a 180 from David from the past several episodes, dare I say, the majority of this season, that it gives us such major whiplash on him. And now all of that work that... And and it wasn't even hard work. He, you just let him exist. And he was fine. We actually liked him. He was getting involved in music. He was having a positive relationship with Claire. All things were good. Now totally down the drain and I don't trust him. Right? Like literally, I think it was two, maybe three episodes ago tops. We were like joking like, oh my gosh, could you imagine if we went back in time and told ourselves we were going to want to see more David and we wouldn't mm-hmm. believe ourselves? I already take it back. I take yeah. it so back. 100%. Such a shit bag. It's just going to take so much more for me to be okay with David again. Yeah. He is siding with some guy he's known tops a semester because mm-hmm. he moved into the dorms in like August or September. We'll say September. And it's February. Like, it's not even been six months and he is siding with this guy over people he has known for literal years. Mm-hmm. And then we just get a ton of like small scenes, really weird stuff. We see a scary man packing what is very clearly a kit to murder 
or at the very least cause serious harm to someone. Mm -hmm. Then for some reason, we go to the peach pit where Jackie and Cindy are talking about trying to find Jackie someone to date. Because that was needed this episode. Right? Why couldn't this have been next week? Why do we need this? We don't. We don't need it. That's the answer. The only thing we needed was that Erin got Lion King pencils. Oh, my God. She was so adorable with her Lion King pencils. That's the only positive to this entire episode. It's the only positive. It's the only thing I will allow. And then, like, Jackie is really enamored with Mel. And I'm just like, what is – do you guys remember how your relationship ended and what you did to your family? Right. And it was then revealed later that apparently Mel's younger girlfriend who he cheated on Jackie with left Mel for a younger dentist. So obviously they'll just get back together and he's not going to cheat on her again. Exactly. And then we get like some short weird thing where Steve is sitting at the peach pit and now it's like, oh my God, you're on TV. And it's Steve driving around so he can make a comment. I don't, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Then we see Scary Man breaking into the beach apartment, and then we go to Casa Walsh, where Brandon is on the phone with Janice, who is trying to get him to run for president again. He's not interested. He pushes her off when Cindy comes home. Cindy tells him about Mel and Jack. Whatever, and then. Cindy mentions that Jim will be disappointed if Brandon doesn't run again and that there is a certain cachet for having a president as a son. And what? He is the student body president of a university. You can't go to, like, the grocery store (laughs) and use that. Yeah. He's not going up to, like, some fancy restaurant and asking to get his name put on the list higher because he's the student body president of CU. I'm just imagining them showing up to a French restaurant where there's a wait, and they're like, have you heard of my son, Brandon Walsh? No. that's You're going to get laughed out of anywhere. Did you say Brenda Walsh, the actress? Oh, my God. What if that happened? (laughs) What if they went somewhere and said something, and they were like, oh, my God, you know Brenda Walsh? (laughs) She was amazing at the London thing. School for the Arts. (laughs) Yeah. That's a thing. But it doesn't matter because there's someone at the door. David is there to ask for a favor. He wants student body president Brandon Walsh's help with Lenny. And then Brandon says, oh, the guy they arrested for the rape. And David corrects him, says, the guy they released. Which, fair. But, like, literally the only fair moment in how David is handling the Lenny situation. Well, and, yeah, Brandon – had known at this point that he was not the guy, right? So yeah, that's also why it's the only fair thing David actually says. But he agrees to go talk to him because he's Brandon. Yeah. So then we go to Jesse and Andrea where they are screaming at each other for just a variety of chores. Like one didn't deposit a check. One hasn't put up a towel rack and it just evolves and they're just screaming and screaming and screaming. And they basically just walk away from each other And Andrea walks out, leaving Jesse at home with the baby. And she says in the most hateful – she leaves in the most hateful way by saying, fine, then why don't you bond with your daughter for a chance? Or for a change. Sorry. What a bitch. Right? 
you can't, the minute you start using your child as a token or as a means to continue fighting or throw something in your spouse's face, it's over. Yeah. Or weaponizing your child in an argument while you're the one who's fucking cheating on your husband. Exactly. I know. Like, and, you know, don't get me wrong. I get sometimes you get frustrated and like, you know, he hasn't hung up that towel rack. That really sucks. But you're having an affair. And like, even when the conversation starts, the argument starts about uh, how Andrea didn't deposit a check. And she's like, why don't you deposit? And he's like, I would if you told me you didn't. Yeah, exactly. And like, we know that we know Jesse's not perfect, but he's remaining loyal to the relationship. Like, and it was, it was weirdly like, I have faith in you and I trust you to do this thing. And now I'm mad that you didn't. And like, meanwhile, he should not have any faith or trust in her because she's cheating on him. And it's just like, it was just a lot of yelling. It was very stressful. Mm -hmm. It upset me a lot. Also, 90% sure the reason she didn't deposit his check is because she got paged to go to work. Oh, I'm sure. Those were air quotes, by the way. You can't see me, listeners. (laughs) Also, she's had this job at the hospital and she's doing research. They're not giving her a pager. Is Peter secretly paying for a pager for her? Oh, dear. You mean by Peter paying for it, Adrian is paying Adrian. for it. Yeah, Sugar Mama's paying for it. Oh my God. I would be so mad if I gave my husband an allowance and he used it to cheat on me. Oh Lord. I'd be mad if I gave my husband an allowance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm definitely saying that just because Peter is literally like, I can't leave her. She's got money. Yeah. And then things don't get better because at this point, Brandon has gone to see Lenny. Apparently, Lenny knew Melody, the girl who was raped, and then calls the cop who's questioning him a lightweight and didn't ask him questions that he should have. That's not how this works. Like, if you know who did it, you need to come forward. I mean, literally, I'm pretty sure every cop, at least those who have been speaking about things to the media, have said, if anyone knows anything, please come forward. And like, Like, that's a common phrase. Yeah. I mean, if you've been on the wrong side of like a legal battle before, I understand hesitancy, but like you need to do what is right to protect people on campus. They are being actively hurt by your actions. Someone he fucking knows. Yes, he mm-hmm. knows Melody and he still didn't do anything. Because, like, this has already happened to her, but she's got to have, like, trauma off of this. And especially if the guy hasn't been caught, if they have no leads, if she knows she is still not safe on campus and he can make that better. Like, he, spoiler alert, he leaves at the end of this episode. But as far as I'm concerned, no one on this campus should ever forgive him. Yeah, 100% agree with you there. And plus, he claims, Lenny claims that, you know, he didn't come forward because it would look bad on him. Like, maybe he'd be treated as an accomplice. But I don't find that to be true. I feel like if he if he comes forward and says, I know who raped her because I know Melody and she told me who it was or whatever, whatever, how does that hurt Lenny? Because they not only give him a reliable witness – 
the person he who got raped and then number two somebody who gives like he gives them a name or he gives them a persona or something that they can go investigate what would hurt him is if he was wrong and it really was lenny and and now he's just delayed the police for a while but in what way would this make him an accomplice i mean him not saying anything makes him an accomplice right yeah that makes him fucking complicit in all of it. Exactly. Which is the big problem about all of this. Because even at the beginning, if he didn't actually rape anybody, he was complicit in sexual assault by being with those people. And you can't use the excuse of, like, being too drunk. Like, if something is done to you and you're too drunk, that's the person who did it to you's fault. If you are drunk and you do something to somebody else, it is your fault. Exactly. 100%. Like if you are fucking wasted and you get behind the wheel of a car, that is 100% your fault, whether you hurt someone or not. Mm -hmm. No, he makes me furious. But then like Brandon figures this out, which totally weird that Lenny trusts Brandon with this information and then trusts that Brandon can go to the cops with this information. Very weird. Yeah. But that's basically what happens. Like we leave this scene. I think this is where the flaming lips perform around this time because for like right before that Donna gets home to the beach apartment and sees that the lights aren't working and she finds the flashlight and that's where she sees Garrett the rapist and she tries to fight him and I'm not even going to comment on the rest of it because I just don't like any of the physicality that happens here um because then then the next scene is where we're at the pee pad and apparently this is I think it was Brandon or Val or Claire. Somebody says the band was really good. So that was, was when we were supposed to see the Flaming Lips. Yeah. So Steve says he's never been a fan of alternative music. And so th- that's what I was ri- originally thinking. But then I read one of those synopsis blogs that says, like, there was a scene at the pee pad where Donna mm-hmm. is like, I'm just not feeling up to it. I'm going to go home. Mm-hmm. And that's how people know where she is. Got it. Yeah. Because this time, yeah, Steve says this comment, we missed the Flaming Lips. Donna shows – or Donna. Brandon shows up with the police to talk to Claire because he says that the campus rapist must have been stalking her. Val freaks out that cops are there, and then she remembers that Donna mentioned the name Garrett. Yep. But says he's a friend of Donna's. Yeah. And it, in my opinion, it takes them way too long to get to the beach apartment. Yeah. Which – is a whole other issue in and of itself. Right? Like, the cops who are at the pee pad don't need to be the same cops who go to the beach apartment. Like, you call other cops to go, and then you meet them there. Exactly. You put it on dispatch, or you put it on your walkie, or whatever, immediately. Yeah. And I'm going to skip a lot of the physicality of what happens next, because it's very graphic and... I don't feel equipped to really talk about it, and it makes me uncomfortable. I don't blame you at all. Like, that scene was, like, literally traumatizing. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm, like, kind of having a physical reaction thinking about it. So, basically, this man is torturing Donna, and David shows up, and the rapist, Garrett, It's not his real name. He's been using an assumed name. He grabs Donna, pulls her behind the door, puts a knife to her, and says, you have to get rid of him. And 
Her voice is cracking. David's asking about the lights. He wants to talk to her. She's like, just get out of here. I have a migraine. And then she calls him Dave, which is not something that she normally does. And we see this all from her side of the door. So we hear David open a door, shut a door. Presumably he's left. And then he runs into the room with a bat Mm -hmm. and hits Garrett. And then Donna beats this man with like a little ceramic statue. Yeah. As she should. As she should. I mean, honestly, like you got to get that out. You have to know you're safe. And like if this is what Donna needs to do, that's what she's going to do. And I'm fine with it. Absolutely. She fucking seized her power in that moment and used it until she – not even until she felt okay because she had to be stopped. But – Right. God. Tori Spelling in this fucking scene and all of it, I don't know how she coped with doing this because that was fucking intense. Right? Like I know on – I'm going to talk about the Nexium documentary again. But I know on the Stars Nexium documentary, they were talking about women that were involved in like the sex cult part of Nexium, not just the like money part of Nexium. When they were talking to them, like they made sure that it was women that were miking them up so they'd feel more comfortable. It wasn't men touching their bodies, and that they had a psychologist on uh, on the set so that they could talk to them if they felt triggered or if it brought up any memories or like anything like that and I do feel like that's a very new thing and especially in the 90s and before you know you're probably going to have writers come to you and say like look this is going to be a really meaningful episode and you have to do it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I thought about that especially some of the things that are written as well as then some of the things that are done um, in that scene, I don't feel comfortable talking about it either, the specifics mm-hmm. of it. But I also think about what they had to tell the actor who played Garrett, what he had to do. Um, and how he could get, I don't know. I don't want to say it because I feel insensitive saying it, but how he could get hired after that. And that's not his fault for having the role. And I just think, there's a line, right? Like, there's got to be a line between how far you can go. I'm surprised a lot of that scene was able to be aired on network TV. That's this felt like more of an HBO scene. Well, and think about other people on this show specifically who have been like attacked in public or have had their lives, like their careers ruined because fans don't know how to separate the actor and the character Mm -hmm. and like they have much bigger stories they probably do like much more stuff just for the amount of screen time they have but this man attacked donna yeah on one of if not the biggest show during sweeps week exactly this and the previous episode were aired during sweeps and that's a choice it's a big choice I guess I kind of just want to like finish that out because there is another scene about Andrea and Peter but like I just want to finish talking about Donna because I kind of don't want to have to come back to this if that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah because 
the next time we see them, it's jumped forward in time a little bit. The cops are at the beach apartment. They're taking Donna's statement. David is sitting with her the whole time. He's got like a bottle of water. And he goes into the kitchen where Claire and Brandon are. And this is very specifically, I think, where we find out that Lenny was in military prison. And he was in – oh, this is when you find out he was in prison with Garrett. Mm-hmm. And this is where I wrote down. But he's still looking out for himself rather than the women on campus. And he's wrong. He's just wrong. There is no rehabilitation here of like, see, he didn't do it. No. That's not how this works. Yeah. I honestly don't know what to say. Like, I I don't think you needed the connection there. Mm-mm. Again, it's it's a case of the staff trying to do too much. Yep. Fill too much, make too many connections, make things make sense that don't make sense or that don't need to make sense. This could have just been a guy that because Lenny was friends with Melody and she knew who he was, that's how he knew who he was. That that That's a perfectly fine explanation. I would have rather them suspected him because he was seen with her nearby or something rather than having yeah. this elaborate, unnecessary backstory just to make it more convoluted and confusing. And I get it that a lot of the times... Writers, like, want people to talk about what has happened on mm-hmm. the show and open up discussions. And sure, you succeeded, but I still don't think you did this right. Well, and, I mean, we're at over an hour talking about this episode. So, I mean, they did something, but I don't think they want to hear what we're saying. Right. I think that's the difference is they want commentary. They don't want criticism. Yeah, like I feel like they want conversations surrounding it, but they're not going to want to hear what we have to say about it. No. Because we think they're wrong. Yeah, I mean, truly, if this aired during Sweeps Week, they were expecting it to get picked up again, and that's what they wanted this episode to be. And we're sitting here being like, if I saw this episode at that time, I might turn it off and like not come back for a while. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. If I saw a show like this today, not, sorry, not a show like this, an episode like this today i'd be like i can't watch this no like again like again like really for me it all goes back to lenny's backstory and that's the fucking problem yes Mm -hmm. because like everything else that happened like this is legitimate like high stakes drama great for tv writing but gosh the presentation is just off and it sucks I totally yeah. agree. It is 100% the problem that they tried to make Lenny too immersed and too complicated and too complex and fill up his backstory. We don't need to know it. He no. could have just been the bike stealer and that would have been fine. He could have just been an old dude in the dorms and like people got freaked out about that. Legitimately, like if what was that character, Amy? Um, had said, like, oh, yeah, that guy's really creepy. Yeah. Look at him. And that could have been it. Yeah. And again, I am totally for an episode that talks about rehabilitation for 
convicted felons. I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. I just you don't need to marry the two in this scenario. Have no. a separate episode. Just treat you get 30 plus episodes a damn season. You have plenty of time. Take all your B-roll of flower shops and the beach and all that shit, put it all together and make it into another episode. You've got time. I would yeah. love an episode that's just 100% B-roll, first of all. <laughs> and I think I got myself distracted off my point, so never mind. No, it's just my point is you don't have to mesh topics together in a show that gets 30 episodes. We're yeah. getting we're getting fully fleshed out, well-told, beautiful stories in four episodes in some cases. In a lot of cases, eight or ten. You have 30. I don't get it. I just, I'm sorry. I don't get it. It's it's very fascinating to me. Like, the evolution of television alone is fascinating to me. Yeah. And I will say, the last thing that happens in this storyline is David says he knew something was up because Donna called him Dave, which she never does, which, like, I feel like is a thing. Like, John and I have talked about like oh if something's wrong like what are you gonna say to me over the phone Mm. which again you shouldn't have to there just shouldn't be people doing this to you right but unfortunately in the world we live in maybe you hate olives and you tell your husband to go buy olives at the store right yeah like I'm 100% sure if I ever called Michael Mike he would be like what the fuck is wrong Mm. right yeah and I'm worried about having my own code with Nate trying to figure out what that might be. Just call him Nathaniel. That's not his name. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I've added like this to the list of conversations I need to have because I'm like, damn, how would I convey that something is really wrong? But no, like knife against my throat or not, I'm fucking screaming and scratching the fuck out of this dude. So I have his DNA under my nails. Yeah, true that. Like I'm going down fighting and I'm going to take you with me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of – because truly, I love my husband, but he's a little spacey. If I was like Jonathan, he'd be like, why are you calling me that? Right. Okay, bye. Right. I like actually thought about this. Um, I was like, I wonder what Ari would call John because his name is just John, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. It's Jonathan. But, yeah. Like I feel like – you would probably like do like John John or something, and then he would be like, "What the fuck is going on, yeah. Johnny? Johnny? Oh my Johnny. gosh! Yeah, never trust an adult man whose name ends in Y. <laughs> Lenny. Oh dear Lord! Seriously, we do have one more scene that technically happened before this, but we're just getting to it. Uh, Charlie is talking to Dylan about past lives and karma and nirvana and uh, whatever. I mean, it's cute, but it's not the point of the scene. We see Peter pull into the parking lot. He's back for room 103 and he's in a robe. And Andrea like pulls him in. He's like ready to go. He, he even says like, I'm on my break. That's why I have to rush. Mm-hmm. And this is when Andrea says, that she's planning on leaving Jesse for Peter and you just see Peter's face change. He's literally like, hold up. Yeah. And his excuse sucks. 
He's like, Adrian put me through med school and I won't even make any money as a doctor for a while. So I couldn't leave her even if I wanted to. And then he says, and I don't want to leave her. Yeah. Like he basically says he's not unhappy with Adrian. He just likes this thrill. Which I think we talked about maybe last episode of like he wants to get caught. Yeah. He he likes the thrill. He likes the risk. He has no problem with this. And then – I mean, what would have been interesting – sorry to interrupt, but mm. what would have been interesting is if he instead was not a pediatric doctor but was like, I don't know, um, trauma, ER doctor or something because it seems like he's a bit of an adrenaline junkie. So – I think that would have been a more interesting character, but they ha- I understand they had to like make the mix in the medical field because of Hannah. But anyway, that was just a yeah. side note. No, I agree. Like that's probably where he should get his, this is going to sound horrible, but quote unquote thrill seeking. Like yeah. he mm-hmm. should be doing something productive rather than cheating on his wife with a married woman. Yeah. And he starts saying stuff. He's like, don't make me the bad guy here. I never promised you anything. And to be fair, he didn't. I think Andrea put this all up in her head, but she makes him leave and she tries to run out and Dylan runs to stop her and make sure she's okay. And I did love, not love in the sense that I didn't like that this had to happen for her to get here, but we'd been talking about this ever since she and Jesse kind of got together and especially after they got pregnant, but She's crying to Dylan and she says, how could I think that something could be so true when it was so false? I don't even know who I am, Dylan. Which, you know, this brings up the whole fact that she's kind of lost herself in this have to be a wife, have to be a mother. Because she thought she was going to Yale. Mm -hmm. She thought she was going to be a med student and potentially on the condor, right? Like, she thought she was going to juggle it all, be a career woman, do her thing, be at the top of her class, be an RA, all this stuff. And her life changed in a matter of minutes, you know? And so she's lost her identity. She doesn't really have a firm grasp on who she is after these, after what's happened. Um, and she finally admits it. Yeah. And honestly, like, I don't think this is the end of this story. I think she does have to deal with this realization that she has and it sucks that this is the way she had to get there but I think she has to talk to Jesse about this and I don't know that their relationship is going to withstand like I just don't think it can yeah it makes me so mad that Andrea got swept up in this like bullshit romance with Dr. Laundrie when literally that's what she did with Jesse when she met him as a bartender at what Jackie's wedding Mm -hmm. and then um or like yeah but yeah and she was with what's his name uh yeah dan Dan. yeah dan before that and he was like oh well i don't do love and then she meets this super romantic bartender who's also a law student and she's like okay but you and then she's like oh but a doctor right and she's just i don't know like Honey, you have to, like, make your own romance sometimes. It's not all going to be done for you. Sorry about it. Yeah. yeah, it's just – it's the sign of emotional immaturity, right, and lack of experience. And and that's not her fault, but she's kind of a – it seems like she's a bit of a hopeless romantic in the sense that she can't understand that sometimes relationships just don't work out and that they're not all it's cracked up to be. Love is not everything, and it doesn't always happen in every relationship, but – she feels like it should. 
and the fact that sometimes it's a choice and she chose wrong right so i'm looking up who directed and wrote this episode directed by gilbert shilton dang Mm -hmm. it uh he has done such episodes as the little fish cuffs and links up in flames he did you gotta have heart a couple episodes ago and then this one is his last episode this season but we'll see him again so when i was listening to that podcast the other podcast um they mentioned that uh this director was a little bit more experienced in the high trauma or not trauma that's a bad word high thrill high intensity type of situations and that he was he was really good at building the tension and so that kind of makes sense based on some of the episodes you just rattled off especially up in flames how it was delivered over time what didn't make sense was just maybe the order of certain Mm -hmm. scenes like really in that really choppy part Um, but that could have been maybe not his choice yeah i mean that could easily have been editing Mm -hmm. i'm looking at his uh other credits on imdb just to see like what high stakes stuff he has it's a lot of like one-offs he's done a couple of like cop kind of shows he did true blue he did magnum pi he did the twilight zone a couple episodes of quantum leap oh my gosh he did an episode of cop rock have you guys heard about cop rock yeah i've heard about cop rock i have not it is a musical police show that only lasted one season in 1990 i feel like it would last negative one episodes in 2021 (laughs) yeah you should watch clips of Cop Rock on YouTube. It's I'm, wild. I think I have to. Ugh. So yeah, I mean, I think that's all I have to say about this episode, and I am ready to just, like, be done with it and move on. Yeah, we already went over my quote of the week, so. Mary, do you have a moment of the week? Is it possible? God, I did, and weirdly, it was Dave in the bedroom with the baseball bat. Fair. I'll allow it. Um, oh, we also didn't talk about the reason there's a baseball bat is because Donna joined a softball team. That I want to see. Right? So, Me too. I actually saved something from Wikipedia to talk about because I did appreciate that they threw in the, the fucking softball bat before it was yeah. used. Um, using the writing principle of, I believe, Chekhov's gun – which states if a gun is placed in a st- in a scene, it must at some point be used. So yep. they put it there and then they fucking used it. So good job. Yeah. Yeah. Credit where credit is due. Um, and then I just had a true crime note because I was interested in looking this up. Um, so Roy Charles Waller was um, – is still, unfortunately – a rapist who was active between 1991 and 2006 whose M.O. matched what we saw in Donna's scene. Um, And interestingly enough, he wasn't caught until 2018, but he was employed at a university. He he worked at UC Berkeley for 26 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I was like, that is a fucking wild coincidence that – it was a university employee the, who was the perpetrator, and then this guy wasn't caught until 2018. 
that's oh my seriously because yeah i we talked about this before we started recording but i was thinking of golden state killer because he was um i don't remember where he was but he was the visalia ransacker Mm -hmm. before he became the original night stalker and the east area rapist but it was like years and all of this effort to like escalate from breaking into people's houses and going through their stuff to becoming the East Area Rapist Golden State Killer. Like, it was years. It was not an escalation of a week. No. And, like, gosh, it was wild because GSK is who I looked up first because I was like, this MO is scary familiar and don't like it. And then to find out that this guy started his shit in 1991 and – I'm sure because both of the both of the men, him and D'Angelo, Waller and D'Angelo, were both caught in 2018 thanks to DNA evidence. God bless DNA. Um, but yeah, the fact that they were both active and then inactive for so long prior to being caught—it's wild. It's a wild coincidence, and I feel confident it is a coincidence because I know that Golden State Killer didn't actually get his name and they weren't able to link everything back to that one person until way after this episode aired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Caitlin, what is next week so we can move this into the past? Yeah. Um, next week is season five, episode 24, Unreal World. I weirdly would not be mad if this was a ripoff of the real world and they all have to live in a house together for a week i kind of want that so badly and val has to be there just to make everyone mad of course yeah i'm kind of ready for val to be actually in the group and not just a periphery like connect you know talking to certain people in the group i'm ready for her to be in the group yep stop ignoring val let her be a business owner and a bad friend. And bring Kelly back. I actually really missed her in this episode. I'm glad she got a break if she needed it, but I really missed her. Mm-hmm. I did too. Yeah. So we'll find out what that is next week. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Back2Podcast. You can also shoot us over an email with your comments, questions, thoughts, your concerns. It was a pretty big episode, so feel free to just – let us have it or tell us what you think we're here as a safe space so no judgments and no um just say what you want you you can say whatever you want just like we can so anyway you can do that at back to podcast at gmail.com that's b-a-c-k-t-o podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate review subscribe share it with your friends and family do all that sort of stuff that really helps us build a community it helps us get seen it helps us grow so that we can have better conversations when episodes like this show up and if you give us a five-star review we'll give you a shout out on the pod so you know be pretty cool if you did that and until next week from all of us at back to podcast i'm ariel i'm caitlin i'm mary bye bye see ya